If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. We're going to try it again because I know people are slowly coming in. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are, or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? On this day, we are a little more careful, Holy One, with our words, with our thoughts, with our time. On this day, we move with a little more tenderness. On this day, We extend more grace than we usually allow, because on this day, terrorists took what could not ever be given back. We cannot help but think about worst-case scenarios, the what-ifs and what-might-have-beens, because on this day, we are reminded just exactly how fast everything can change and how little control we have in the matter. This is, of course, always true, not just on this day, every day. Most of us will not know when goodbye was the last goodbye or when our last dinner together will be or the last time it is that we will hold hands. Most of us will not know that this will be the final hug or that will be the last kiss or this will be the last time we wave as they turn out of the drive. Most of us will not know when there will not be another chance to tell someone how we feel. But perhaps you would rather us stop thinking about today as a reminder of how little control we have and instead be reminded that we actually have control over quite a lot. For when it comes to those words we've always been meaning to say, or not knowing when the last time for anything will come, well, we really do know what to do. We do know what to say. We just need to do it and say it, whatever that it is. Help us, Holy One, to say, I love you now, to say, I'm sorry, now 
to right the wrong, straighten what is bent, and find what is lost now, on this day and every day. With urgency we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3 and verse 12, as well as Folsom Prison Blues, written by Johnny Cash. From Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. And Folsom Prison Blues, I hear the train a-comin', it's rollin' round the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps a rollin' on down to San Anton. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowin', I hang my head and cry. Here ends the readings from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It was a hit twice over. Once, when it was first released in 1955, rising to number four on the charts, and then again in 1968, when Johnny recorded a version live in concert at Folsom Prison, California's second oldest prison. And that version of Folsom Prison Blues is the one most of us are familiar with. It went all the way to number one on the Billboard Country Chart and also won Johnny Cash a Grammy for Best Country Vocal Male Performance in 1969. Folsom Prison Blues is a rare example of a live song which is considered more definitive than its studio-recorded counterpart. And I would like to take an aside because I couldn't work it into the sermon otherwise, and it really needs mentioning, that if you listen to the 1968 version of Folsom Prison Blues, after Johnny sang, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die, you can hear cheers and applause that seem to come from the inmates, which is not a good look. <laughs> but here's the thing, those cheers were added post-production. May that random piece of information serve you well at some trivia game night. <laughs> People often assume Folsom Prison Blues was written out of Johnny's first-hand experience as an inmate there, but while Johnny had plenty of run-ins with the law, he never served any real hard time, at least not in Folsom Prison. He did serve but in the military. 
1952, Johnny Cash was stationed in Germany, an intercept operator in the United States Air Force. It was a choice outpost reserved for the most promising intercept operators. The selection process didn't focus just on test performance, but also weighed character, intelligence, and emotional stability. The only problem was that the security operation was so top secret that he was prohibited from telling anybody, including his family, about the delicate nature of his assignment. The Air Force taught me the things every military service imparts to its enlisted men, plus one skill that's pretty unusual. If you ever need to know what one Russian is signaling to another in Morse code, I'm your man. Indeed, Johnny Cash would become the first American to hear of the death of Joseph Stalin. During his first week overseas, Cash and a fellow soldier went to the movies. They saw a gritty, low-budget Warner Brothers film titled Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison. It was a violent movie, remembered Cash, and I just wanted to write a song that would tell what I thought it would be like in prison. He also borrowed very heavily from another song, Crescent City Blues, written by Gordon Jenkins and sung by his wife Beverly Marr. And Jenkins and Marr would eventually get a settlement for Johnny's plagiarism. The lyrics are undeniably similar, to be sure. Here's the third line of Crescent City Blues, which was released a whole year before Folsom Prison. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, Sue, when you're grown up, I want that you should go and see and do. But I'm stuck in Crescent City, just watching life mosey by. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my hat, head and cry. Johnny will tell you in a minute that he stole that song, remembered Marshall Grant, who was part of Johnny Cash's original back duo, the Tennessee Two. But he made it a more interesting song. Everybody sang about love. Not everybody sang about shooting a man just to watch him die. I didn't know if you could even put that in a song. As soon as I heard it, I remember asking John, are you sure they'll play something like that on the radio? But those were the lyrics. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. What Johnny Cash didn't know when he wrote those lines was that they would become a horrifyingly accurate description of what is now almost daily news. Reports of senseless mass shootings by disaffected, violent young men in America. Just this year alone, we've seen it happen in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas, and last week, Memphis, Tennessee. We know that most of these shootings, along with nearly every other mass shooting that's happened going back 25 years, are deeply connected to a socially maladaptive kind of masculinity that glorifies dominance, aggression, and status. 
Those dots have been clearly connected for many of us and explicitly spelled out by author Kristen Dumez in her book, Jesus and John Wayne. Which is why we're doing a series on Jesus and Johnny Cash. I agree with the author Hannah Anderson who wrote, much has been made of the excess of John Wayne masculinity, but I wonder if it's time for a conversation about Johnny Cash masculinity. While the Duke is synonymous with true grit, masculine bravado, and dominance, the man in black offers an alternative vision and perhaps a way forward in these deeply fragmented times. Cash's roots ran deep in the American South and themes of poverty, religion, and all things Americana informed his music. His biggest hits include sentimental ballads about riding the rails, the mythical Wild West, and hardworking, hard-living men who miss their mamas. But while Cash celebrated a kind of rugged masculinity, he was also deeply flawed. His life was marked by infidelity, alcoholism, and drug abuse. And yet, Cash had a singular advantage, something the current rhetoric around masculinity misses. He knew he was a deeply flawed man. He knew he was a man in need of grace. So while he sang about temptations that are common to all, he didn't justify or excuse his own participation. Instead, his catalog of musical recordings rings with confession, grief, and cries for redemption. I mean, can you imagine John Wayne speaking the lines of Sunday morning coming down? Of course not. But Johnny Cash did not shy away from admitting to spiritual alienation, from feeling far from God, searching for salvation, while admitting that there are consequences for falling short. But what if that was what we expected from men? It's there in Folsom Prison Blues as Cash admits that his circumstances were the consequences of his deeds. He confesses, I know, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. Cash sings in so many words what King David, another broken poet warrior of a man, wrote in Psalm 51. I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. You remember King David, so often lifted up in the evangelical world as the man's man, the Bible's Ken doll, so handsome. And he cut the head off of a giant, and he fought all the battles and won all the wars. But those were not the reasons that David was eventually called a man after God's own heart. His life was also marked by confession of sin and repentance. The superscription to the psalm that 
that tiny italicized text before every single psalm, that's the first clue to what Psalm 51 is about, confession of sin and forgiveness. We read Psalm 51 against that superscription. It is the background story of David's infidelity, his assault of Bathsheba, and the murder of her husband, Uriah, as well as the subsequent confrontation between David and the prophet Nathan, who challenges the king about his behavior. That confrontation leads to David confessing to his sin, both in 2 Samuel and again as attributed to him in Psalm 51, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Like Johnny Cash, David knew that he was a deeply flawed man he knew he was in need of grace. And his psalms, like Johnny's songs, ring with confession, grief, and cries for redemption. And since I brought it up, the matter of confession, I will confess to you that I struggled with what we call the turn in the sermon. The turn is the point in the sermon where the preacher pulls out of the nosedive of talking about hard things that make people sad and uncomfortable, like sin and confession and regret, and begins to point the nose upward. Progressive churches and progressive Christians don't typically like sin talk in church. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because it has been used very often as a weapon by the church to shame and control instead of as a catalyst for transformation. I thought about turning this sermon into a repudiation of the doctrine of original sin and other developed doctrines that really only emphasize how to avoid a terrible afterlife. But so many of, the, of us have already walked away from that. Deconstructing without reconstructing is taking the easy way out. So we're going to do some reconstructing this morning because the man in black invites us to do that with him. He invites us to take sin, confession, and repentance seriously. It was still hard for me to not move just right into God's sparkly, shiny, amazing grace, let's just feel good we're at church. But we're talking about Johnny Cash not Dolly Parton. And thank goodness, because we're all just a little bit more like Johnny than we are Dolly. And Johnny asks us to sit for a minute before singing about light of a clear blue morning. Let me do some quick definitions. Sin is the theological word we use for falling short, missing the mark. Confession is the theological word we use for owning up, acknowledging, taking responsibility. 
Repentance is the theological word we use for regret, expressing the desire to do it differently next time. At its heart, Folsom Prison Blues sings of sorrow and regret, the very element that sets Cash's murder ballads apart from the violence found in much of contemporary music. As Quentin Tarantino observes about Johnny's music, Cash sings of tales of men trying to escape, escape from the law, escape from the poverty they were born into, escape prison, escape madness, escape the people who torture them. But one thing Cash never lets them escape is regret. Unlike most gangster rap, Cash's criminal life songs rarely take place during the high times. In fact, most songs take place after the cell door has slammed shut or a judge's gavel has condemned a man to death. When a man faces a rope or 99 years in a cage for his choices he made, when he tells the story of those choices, he tells it not with bravado, but an overwhelming sense of regret. So what happens when we sin, when we confess? The psalm generates an unresolved theological question. What becomes of our sin after we confess? What is the process by which God rids us of our sins? Asks theologian Ellen Davis. Do they really disappear like spots before some metaphysical dry cleaning agent? Or is that just wishful thinking? especially when our sins have not only stained our own souls, but also wrought drastic damage, even permanent damage, in the lives of others. Remember, Psalm 51 is associated with David's sins of assault and infidelity and murder, and the consequences for those sins are terrible for David and for his family, ultimately torn apart, much like Johnny Cash's family. What we find in Psalm, post-confession, is that move to repentance and regret, and it lifts our chin towards redemption it is in confession and repentance that we find the courage and strength to change course, to ask for help. It is telling that the psalm envisions the experience of forgiveness less like a divine operation on us and more like divine presence within us. When we hear it in verse 13, God, David pleads, do not cast me away from being before you and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Backing up to verse 12, the psalm describes that in confessing our sins, in considering the wreckage left in our wake, we admit that we have broken our own hearts and we are ready to do things differently. 
To be clear, confession of sin and expressing regret is not about self-flagellation. It is not a weapon. It is a tool. Confession is the spiritual discipline of self-reflection so that when the next opportunity comes, we will choose peace instead of violence, love instead of jealousy, tenderness instead of indifference. This ultimately leads us to ask for the help we need to walk those paths. That's what the psalmist does in verse 12. Restore in me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. This is perhaps why America still has a race problem. We have not fully confessed our sin. We have not fully expressed repentance. Maybe once we admit that we regret slavery and repent of the ways its legacy continues, we'll be able to sustain a willing spirit needed for change. Indeed, if we think about regret in this way, looking backward in order to move forward, seizing what we can control and putting aside what we cannot, crafting our redemption stories, it can be liberating or it can be cleansing. As author Daniel Pink explains, one of my deeper regrets is that I wasn't kinder to people when I was younger. I'm not sure that happened for a reason, but I am sure I can find an explanation in the recollection. But now I try to make kindness a higher priority. I also regret moments of dishonesty, which were not cataclysmic, yet somehow remain seared in my memories. So now I try to avoid placing new items on those mental shelves by working harder to do the right thing. I regret certain educational and professional choices that I made, but now I kick myself less for those blunders and use the lessons I learned to guide the rest of my life and to inform the advice I offer to others. I regret not forging enough close connections with my friends, mentors, and colleagues. Now I try harder to reach out. After a few years immersed in the science and experience of our most misunderstood emotion of regret, I've discovered about myself what I've discovered about others. Regret makes me human. Regret makes me better. Regret gives me hope. Indeed, that live recording at Folsom Prison was part of Johnny's road to redemption. At the time, he stood at a perilous crossroads, musically and personally. After a decade of heavy, heavy drug use, Cash had recently sobered up, but his career was still on the downswing. His recent sobriety and spiritual awakening were shaky and fragile. In fact, Cash had even popped a few pills to deal with his nerves that day at the stage at Folsom. 
But in 1968, Johnny experienced a series of profound spiritual transformations. He was ready to live differently. Johnny Cash would, as we know, have to circle back around this process several more times over the rest of his life. But as always, perfection is not the point. Progress is the point. And so by now it should be clear that it's not just the masculinity conversation that needs Johnny Cash. The rest of us need Johnny Cash. We need a conversation about admitting that we are both sinner and saint, ready to live differently. So let us consider where we've gone wrong, where we've lost the plot, how we've managed to wander off the path so that we can do better, so that we can hope that there is something more than just to hang our head and cry. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.